Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of Renar Voice. My name is Robert Swatala, and I'm one of the co-hosts for Renar Voice. With me is my co-host for the last 40 episodes and hopefully many more, my friend and colleague, Jeff Mazzone. How are you, Jeff? Good morning, bro. So does that mean we're over the hill? Is that what that is? We, well, I am in more ways than one. So <laughs> <laughs> it just fits for me, at least. Uh, no, that's right. So, hey, I always consider you a, a wise and sage person in your youth. Um, so for our listeners, because we have a lot of student listeners, um, what would be maybe one of your biggest observations from transitioning from student to professional? Because you're kind of into it now. You're, what, six months being fully integrated, if you want to call it that, like, what would you say to our student listeners is, is like the biggest difference between being a student and being a resident? Yeah. Yeah. Just like, just like going that, making that transition from, from student, even internship to actually being a counselor. Well, I think your relationship with your supervisor and your colleagues is really important. And if you don't have those skills already, that might make the dynamic very difficult. And I don't, I don't play well with others being an only child. So that's, that's true. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. Which is a little surprised, like that we get along so well. Well, we have the, you know, we have the protection of technology and, <laughs> you know, for a purely virtual relationship, you know. Yeah, it's that's very, true. That's true. When you get thrown into the mix and, and, uh, you know, I've learned something from my site that it's really important to extend a little grace. Yeah. See, uh, wise and sage advice. There you go. I knew I could count on you for that. <laughs> Great. All right, Jeff. Hey, we got a really, really um, interesting topic today. Um, I'm I'm excited because it's something that's completely different that I, I probably wouldn't. When we started this podcast, this probably wouldn't have been on my list of anticipated topics, but I think it's a great topic. And, and um, I'm honored, actually, to be able to hold this topic in kind of a gentle and sacred place. Mm -hmm. So um, without further ado, could you introduce our guests for today? Yeah, that's really well said. And uh, today we have Dr. Brittany Lashua on, who's a, a counselor and professor at Liberty and, and came highly recommended to us from our dear Dr. Kirk. And uh, I don't know why we've waited so long to have her on and to talk about this topic. Um, we've, we've touched on uh, sex in counseling and sex addiction and perceived pornography addiction. And Robert, I know you're, you're pursuing your, your CSAD and, and, uh, I'm not sure why we, I don't think we waited so long. It's just, I think the Holy Spirit has kind of yep. lined this up. So I don't uh, think we had the perfect guest for it. We're well, the perfect co-host for it. That's right. Yeah. So we're really honored today to have Dr. Brittany Lashua, who originally pursued a degree in counseling because she wanted to help others show up as their most real selves and springboard that into healing, which I think is a great way to describe what we do as counselors. Um, she has two main focuses, women and couples. She earned her doctorate, her PhD in counselor education and supervision from Liberty and is a sex therapist, AEDP therapist, and a master practitioner in NLP. And hopefully she'll be able to share a little bit with us just what those acronyms are for listeners who might not be quite sure. Her main focuses of counseling are related to sex and sexuality, trauma, couples, and the integration of nutrition and wellness, which I think is just a really great package there. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about female sexual desire uh, and, and 
we'll share a little bit as we get going just how that particular topic emerged. So, Dr. Lashua, good morning, and thank you so much for being here today. Morning. Thank you for having me on the show. So can you explain just a little bit for us as we get into like the AEDP and NLP for folks that might not be familiar with that? Absolutely. So ADP is a mouthful and it stands for Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. Um, Diana Fosha is the creator of that. And it is, I think, about 25 years old at this point, And it really focuses on the experiential part. So what's happening in the moment in the counseling room and then we have this like beautifully interwoven mix of attachment and interpersonal neurobiology and uh, you will see some of like those psychodynamic aspects in there is in terms of defenses and i could probably talk about it for a while but that's not why we're here um and then neuro-linguistic programming is what NLP stands for. And that was created on um, really the shoulders of Virginia Satir and Milton Erickson. And um, the whole the whole purpose of NLP is really to model what works. So that um, looks a lot at language pattern patterning and the way that we communicate to people and how we can break patterns very quickly just by the words that we choose. Thanks, Dr. Lashwin. Thanks for being here today. We greatly appreciate it. Um, so to get us going, um, can you talk about like what got you into this particular focus related to female sexuality um, and really that idea to kind of become specialized into this specific topic? I think that that probably just had to do with the nature of what continued to show up in my office. Um, I see couples on a pretty regular basis and women often have a significantly lower desire than their partner or would at least feel that way or it was higher when they were first together but now it's not and what I found myself doing was needing to psychoeducate a lot, work with couples to get on the same page about what was actually happening, and then how to re-engage that desire. And part of that had to do with their partner, but the other part had to do for women with what was actually going on internally, what they spoke to themselves when they looked in the mirror, their hormones, all of these different aspects. And so I found myself just really enjoying that and being able to help women really make those shifts. You know, Dr. Lasho, just in talking about our topic for today, uh, we threw out a lot of possibilities, which I had mentioned kind of before, uh, female sexuality in marriage, having young children, how that can impact uh, desire, uh, sexual dysfunction and over-sexualized culture, uh, a focus on genital sexuality at, at the expense of uh, general human sexuality. And you suggested that we focus specifically in our limited time together on female desire. And you had said to us that it's one of the most common things that women struggle with. And it encompasses so many of these topics that I just mentioned, because it's incredibly layered. I I'd love to just spend a, a good chunk of time just unpacking that with you if we could. Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons that I said that it's layered is because Everything that you mentioned previously when you were throwing out topics of what we could talk about contribute to desire or the lack thereof. 
when we look at um, desire, there are things that we see. So, for example, you you one of the last things you mentioned was like a focus on genital sexuality. Well, there is so much more, and this is true for men too, not just for women, but there is so much more to our sexuality than just the physical aspect or the focus on, um, I call them our bathing suit areas on a regular basis, our bathing suit areas. And so um, it's funny because when I'm sitting that you'll hear my brain squirrel sometimes, it's funny when I'm sitting with couples and I'm like, listen, we can't just always go for the bathing suit areas because, you know, women like do this blocking thing. I created a video, um, on my social media of like all the way that all, all the ways that women block their partner. Uh, it was very funny to me anyways. So we do this thing because we are such a full body person, a being where it's like, don't just focus on that. I need you to connect with me emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and that all of these parts are a part of our overall sexual desire, our overall sexual being. Um, Masters and Johnson, and y'all, I'm just going to like keep going. So feel free to just interrupt me. Oh, go for it, Doc. Just, yeah, go. Because I can probably talk about this just, just go ad nauseum. That's what we want. <laughs> Excellent. So Masters and Johnson, if you look at their um, their cycle of uh, like you have climax or you get like you get aroused, there's desire, climax and boom, you're in you're in the the after effect period. It's this beautiful, nice line. But Rosemary Basson's model of sexual desire is like, it looks like it just goes in and out. It's these, uh, it's like, it almost looks like yarn. It's just, we're in and out of sexual desire because um, women can even be having sex in the act of and still not actually fully expressing desire for it which is really amazing because they've agreed to do something yet that desire isn't quite there yet they might be checking grocery lists in their head and not even because they mean to it's just the brain pops in and out of this cycle and so for women it requires such a focus on being present so let me backtrack when we look at desire there's so many different factors so where the couple is emotionally or where they are emotionally within themselves, um, what they believe about sex, sexuality, um, that can be from a societal standpoint, that can be, that can be from a religious standpoint. There's so many different factors that are a part of that. Then, that has to do with the way that they see themselves, the way that they engage their body. And just even on that note, um, I tease, I tease women sort of very playfully in my office where I'm like, listen, your man does not care about your muffin top girl. Like you see this and women will be like, Oh no, I can't be in that. Can't be in that. Um, that position or I need to cover up. And I'm like, he does not care. And, without fail every single time the guy that's on the couch next to them is like 
I do not care. I do not even notice. I'm not even paying attention to that. It's not even about that. But women very easily can get in, in their heads about that. And I saw y'all laugh as I said that. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, so women very easily get in their heads about that. So often we have to change messages. Um, what's also interesting when you begin to compare masculinity and femininity in terms of just our overall sexuality, how we were created, is men tend to be more doing. And when I, when I, what I mean when I say that, I'm getting some head nods already from y'all, is that it's like very pursuit driven. What am I doing? What's the next thing to conquer? How am I showing up? I'm a protector. I'm strength. There's all of these different things that show up in masculinity. But what's different for women in terms of their own feminine sexuality is that there's a being. Women are tender and nurturing. And if a woman is really engaged in that feminine side, she's going to show up as playful. She's likely going to be very in her body. So there's a being aspect to that. And so part of helping women reconnect their desire is to reconnect to their own body um, and what's interesting is that movement is such a part of that of like the things that we listen to uh, and you can probably think of different types of music or whatever but some will like make your head get going but in terms of sometimes helping women even engage their desire and engage their body um, is getting their like their hips to move truly because that's where the center like I mean that if you look at the like the energy in our body like the way that God created us I mean it, within your hips like that is that's where your uterus is that's where your ovaries are that's where your genitalia is that is the energy of where we are that God made us as women and so we have to begin to engage that and so much of that contributes to desire so we have physical we have emotional we have spiritual that if we're not connected in these areas, that desire will really begin to tank so fast. And Esther Pearl, who I love, she does, she talks, um, she, she does quite a bit of couples research and she talks about affair related topics. And it's really interesting because this seems counter to what culture teaches, but she has found that women lose interest in um sex before men what but or like get bored they get bored before men do but it seems like culture would teach us something different but often that comes back to women's desire for things that are new and romance and those are the things that engage desires it's not just like all right i'm here let's do the thing you know it's all right, how are you going to pursue me? Because that part has to do with engaging that feminine part of a woman, which then pulls out her desire. Oh, Doc. So Robert and I are typing in the chat, and I go, so who's going to go first with the follow-up? And Robert says, I have a bunch of follow-ups. And I said, I bet you do. Yay. <laughs> I do. I do. There's so much there. Uh, so much really good stuff. Um, but what I want to hit on, I guess, maybe the the best thread is when you talk about 
<clears throat> just kind of that emotional, those factors, that emotional, your own internal belief system, your own self. What I, what I kind of get this picture of is intimacy and how important intimacy is. And I think for me, and I think a lot of society and a lot, a lot of men especially think intimacy immediately think sex. And I think intimacy, what I've learned is intimacy is a really, or, or sex is a really a, a product of true intimacy of emotional, spiritual, maybe say non-physical sex, or I'm sorry, non-sexual physical touch. When all those are in line, I think that's where true intimacy and that's what sex spurs out. So are we talking very much, is there a common thread there between desire, especially in female, uh, females and intimacy, true intimacy? Oh man. So in my dissertation, I talked about, I've got to reference it, you know, at some point I feel like it, I talked about how in terms of like intimacy that we don't even really know sometimes it's like satisfaction before intimacy is intimacy before satisfaction. Like sometimes even the literature has a really hard time pulling those things apart anyways. Um, but for women, there is that huge need for emotion. Um, I, emotional intimacy. I talk about it with couples. Like it's this really great cycle if you stay in it. So women tend to, this is not for everyone, but tend to need emotional connection to have physical connection. And men tend to need physical connection in order to have that emotional connection or feel like I want to be vulnerable. And it's like this really great cycle if we stay in it, but it is a tailspin if we get out of it. So we want to make sure that we stay in this cycle of emotional connection. And um, with couples, this is the hard part is like, uh, for example, a couple may come in my office and I promise I'm going to answer your question with this. A couple may come in my office and uh, they're having desire issues and the man often feels really rejected uh, if it hasn't been meeting his frequency or um, quality that he would like to have and like for good reason you know like it makes sense that he would feel that way and then if we look at the woman she often feels really emotionally disconnected from him and so then it makes it very hard for her to give her body to him um dr doug rosenau who is no longer with us but he is like one of uh he called himself a missionary for sexual wholeness which i love but which i love that um he truly was just an amazing man and he created what he called the continuum of sexuality and so at we 10 i call it swinging from the chandelier sex he did not call it that but i call it that and then one and two is like you have uh duty sex i'm doing it because i'm supposed to pity two i'm doing it because um I feel like I have to, like, I feel bad for you. Um, and so a lot of times if women are not feeling emotionally connected, they will give sort of that one to two level sex. And then again, while maybe their, their partner is getting it, they're not, they're not getting any sort of fulfillment from that because there's a lack of emotional connection. And I have men in my office that are like, yeah, I, I do it because I feel like I need a release, but it's like, I walk off and I just feel bad. I feel bad about like it didn't feel good to me. It wasn't fulfilling. And that's because there's that lack of emotional connection. And um, I believe truly that God, I call women, um, 
a a fire alarm or a smoke alarm in the house is like they are so aware often because of that being nature that God made women with. Um, they're very aware when things are off, very aware. And so they're like, hey, I just don't feel as connected to you today. And they're looking for that re-engagement. It's such a huge connection point that if if you can just make that time, you can connect. And I feel like I could probably go 15 different directions with that. So I'm going to pause and see if you want. Yeah, no, that, that's so good. And, and and one thing I love there, and I think the beauty of femininity, femininity and, I, and I never really described it, is being. That is such a, such a really just kind of summary of femininity, I think, and what really is the difference from masculinity is being and doing that there's such a such a difference. And that's really profound. So I thank you for for sharing on that. And and I guess going back into the counseling or I'm shaking my head because I, I think I, and I don't know about Jeff, but I know for myself, um, I have experienced that same narrative that same wheel, that same cycle that you're talking about. So how, just share maybe a little bit, how do you get couples, how do you effectively get couples to understand what that wheel is, as well as guys, I'm talking guys, because I think guys, at least from my experience, are a little bit harder to to get through the, uh, the hard shell at times. Um, how do you get them to realize that that is that intimacy piece that is really the secret to what they ultimately want and desire. Um, I think probably a big part of that is psychoeducation first. I use a lot of humor because that's very me. So I just make, I like, I, I playfully just make fun of things and, or I like, I poke at people and, but it's like very gently and very lovingly, but I can get that shell to sort of, especially with guys, like kind of get that shell to open up or what I just said to you, to both of you, um, when talking about like, yeah, you know, when your, your, you know, your wife doesn't want to have sex with you, like, you know. You feel it like, yeah, you you got what you wanted, but you left not really getting what you wanted. And I can if I can get that, like, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Then I'm like, see, if you do this, if you will connect with her emotionally, if you'll connect with her non-sexually outside of outside of the bedroom. I even uh, often make couples, especially when I'm working with them, have sex days. And you you can have sex on these days and they create them. I don't tell them what they're going to be, but they create one. And I'm like, all right, cool. Then anything else that happens outside of that is bonus sex. Bonus sex is always great. But you know that it's happening. If you know Tuesday and Saturday are your days, then you're not going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing for for connection because a, a, set, a physical connection because what i find is a lot of guys who have been in this place where they're they're not getting it as often as they would like to um that it's like almost every time feels like the last or they're like all right if i can just you know i'm gonna try again today and i'm gonna try again today and i'm gonna try again today and the woman starts to do this thing where it's like please don't Please don't touch me. I, I need to know that you want me for more than my body, at least my my bathing suit area body. I need to know that you want me for more than that, 
for more than that. So when I can get couples to agree that we have days, it really opens up the door to we can have non-sexual physical connection that has nothing to do with ending in an orgasm. It has to do with, I'm touching you because I want you. I'm touching you because I want to be close to you. Um, Dr. Doug Rosenau, who I mentioned earlier, talks about sex and color. And I'll briefly mention them as he talks about sex and with, we have green, purple, and orange. And green is like your friendship type connection. And we have, we engage in our green sexuality with the majority of people that we are in relationship with we this is just being able to have really good conversation and be close and so you need to have a good solid green in your relationship then uh, i'll come to purple ask is my favorite then you have orange and maybe it's my favorite because i'm a woman but mm, potato potato okay so orange is actual physical sex that the goal is in some capacity not always but orgasms happen in this zone and it can be like really playful sex to all the way to um like swinging from the chandeliers type sex or just very passionate like that's what i think hollywood type sex so and all of these are on a continuum so you have green and orange and then purple and I try to get couples to live a lot of time as much as possible in this purple zone. Um, and this is the thing that is most lost in a long-term relationship. And this is your passionate, non, non-sexual, meaning non-orgasm, non-goal-driven behavior, but it can be steamy, like that might be like showering together. That might be long, passionate kisses, but that has absolutely nothing to do with an orgasm. That has to do with I'm connecting with you because I want to be close to you. And we're being together. That's not goal driven. And if I can help that come online, especially for women, Men like it too. But if I can get that to come on for women, then all of a sudden um, that desire will really start to show in a new way. As long as we don't have some hormone and some other issues that are at, at play, I can really get that to show up. And men really like it because what they they learn, and I can think of a couple um, that I'm seeing now, and he was like, I never would have thought about that, but I can. this has changed my marriage. And I'm like, you're welcome. Um, you just had to change your view. And so now he's like, she like once for a while, she would, she would like basically run away from me because I was always trying to approach her for sex, or at least she felt that way. But now she's like all over me, climbing on top of me, playing with my hair, like scratching my arms, like changing naked like and just like being playful about it. Whereas like normally she'd like run away from me. So I'm not trying to touch her. Like, and then they go, oh, man, I'm getting even more of that physical, physical touch, like intimate physical touch. You're not purpling with everybody. That intimate physical touch that I really so desperately wanted, but I didn't know that I wanted. And that starts to transform desire. So I just get guys to buy in. of like, this is going to make it way better. And I have yet to have a guy come back and go, nah, it didn't, didn't work. You know, Doc, unfortunately, I have stuck in my head this image from yesterday when I took my family to this brewery vineyard goat farm and the young male goats are uh, 
chasing and attempting to hump the female goats and the female goats <laughs> running away. And it's just this constant cycle uh, of... <laughs> that's probably a perfect image of how so many women feel, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> great great, an- great analogy, Jeff. Great transition. You like that, man? That's- I did. I did, yeah. That's Ooh. took us 41, 41 episodes to get the word hump out. So congratulations. And I'm watching this whole thing and my wife walks over to me. She's like, what's wrong? And I'm just like, I don't know. Just there's a lot going on right here. Like, Cause I'm watching this whole goat <laughs> dynamic. <laughs> uh, anyway. Okay. So switching gears a little bit. Um, I really hope you don't edit that out. No, no, there, there's no editing. No, thank you for that. You're the best. Um, I wanted to ask you, Doc, about some of the uh, the dark side of all of this um, as your eyes get real big. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking like pornography, pornography, excuse me, for example, as a maladaptive educational tool, uh, especially for boys. Um, and then what happens when those boys, you know, eventually sort out their lives and uh, a woman actually finds them redeemable enough to spend their whole lives with them and they just have these ideas about sex and female sexuality because of all the years of pornography um or even the role that pornography has played in the lives of women which uh, the research seems to continue to show is more and more common and not talked about as much yeah increasing right and then also the piece to uh, all these things i guess are related and you would know this far better than i would but you know, the role that trauma can play in unwanted sexual behaviors or, or decreased desire or just all of those messy dynamics. Um, can you just share a little bit on any of that for us? Yeah, all of, all of that is so messy. Um, let me start with trauma and I'll kind of transition into some of the others. Um, trauma, I think, does two things. One of two things, especially if it's like sexually related trauma to a woman is uh, one way she completely shuts down and the other way uh, it is a hyper focus on sexuality almost to like try to make it okay take back some sort of control uh, and and I've seen it happen where it's just like I, I need I I need to I need to do something different. I, I I need to take back this control. What was taken from me, or what I gave up, what I what I said yes with my mouth, but I didn't really want with my body, uh, which happens more than I wish. Um, that takes from, and so when we get to this place where there's this hyper focus on that, then a lot of times, not always. But often when a woman will end up in a long-term relationship, she's no longer having to like take that control. So it's almost like that desire tanks because the parameters have changed. And so then the questions will show up of like, she was always, she was always just this freak. And now she like, doesn't even want to be with me. I don't, I don't understand what happened. And it's the parameters of the relationship change because she didn't feel like she needed to control him because he was safe or use that sense of control or it continues, but it's still not actual desire. It's, um, 
for control or for manipulation. But trauma does this other thing too, where it turns off desire. So I see this too sometimes with women who have a trauma history, where they'll like maybe be more open before they get married or early on in marriage, depending on if they waited or not. And then it turns off and then they start um, remembering things or if there's a lack of emotional connection sometimes in relationships the trauma part will really start to get activated um, and they didn't even know that it was there or she thought it was fine like she did um, you know therapy or counseling when she was younger and and it's fine now but it's not fine. I tell people too that I've seen from a sex therapy perspective, sometimes you deal with it as much as you can in the season that you're in and then it'll show back up and show back up differently or it's fine and then you have kids and something shifts or there are so many things that can reactivate it but differently that we just go, hey, let's not judge it. It, it, it may or may not happen. Like I'm like, you may never end up back in my office but if you do, if this ever happens, like let's not be surprised about it. Um, so there's that part. And then when it comes to pornography, um, that part's interesting too, because, um, moral disapproval has the biggest part to do with the negative side effects of it. Like if you think that it's bad for you, that's where all the shame and those sorts of things show up with that. And then it gets you in this cycle. Now I will tell you from my perspective, I think it, it's detrimental all along the way. So I wanna be clear about that. But I, I'm not gonna butt it. I'm just gonna say, I think it's detrimental all along the way. And moral disapproval will heighten that. So then you see, uh, this focus on general genital sexuality, because that really is what pornography is, is a huge focus on genital sexuality. And so women think that they have to be a certain way, perform a certain way, look a certain way. And then men may or may not have expectations of how uh, a woman is supposed to perform, be always excited, you know, like, I can't wait to see you. Like, let's do this thing. And I'm being like very, like, I feel like very kindergarten about that and the way I'm describing that. But like, oh, like it's, I want you. And so there's this view of women are supposed to be always on, always ready, always hot. And that's fantasy. Pornography's fantasy. And so if we expect Fan, that sort of fantasy to exist, especially in long-term relationship, we're going to have some struggles because it doesn't, it doesn't quite look like that. Now I will say that, and this is just a side note, that affair sex often looks like a fantasy. And that's so much a part of the appeal is I can stay in my long-term committed relationship and I can have this really hot fantasy type sex with you where we're, our bodies always react immediately. There's all these different factors. But again, that still tells the wrong thing about desire because that part is easy. You've got all these chemicals, all these things. It's illicit. So then it starts to talk about desire in that way. So then people go back to their long-term committed partner and they're like, you're just not ready to see me the way that that person is. Well, yeah, because like they clean, they do your laundry and things and they know that you, you are mean sometimes.
I, you know, I can't, I can't leave this episode without bringing up John Paul II, uh, who devoted so much of his pontificate to human sexuality and theology of the body. And w- one thing he said was that pornography doesn't show enough. Mm-hmm. It only shows something that's, like you said, just the, the genital part. And, you know, I, I can say in my own life, just a little self-disclosure before Robert kind of moves us on here, like, you know, being exposed to pornography at the age of 10 uh, by an by an adult uh, who thought it would be a good way for me to comfort uh, through the my dad leaving our family, which itself is really twisted. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that kind of became for me a real foundation. And then all, what, despite all that I had studied about human sexuality and the theology of it and everything else, like when it came time for me being with a woman, I just thought that my wife was going to turn into all the things that I saw in porn. Yeah. On my honey, on my honeymoon, and that was a real rude awakening. And she, you know, we had a conversation. She's like, "Just we got married. Do you think I'm going to turn into this vixen <laughs> all of a sudden?" Right. And it's like it became clear when we got back from honeymoon. I started talking to other guys in similar situations. Like, yeah, man, like so much of what we brought into our marriage was based on what we learned from porn. Hmm. And. When you're first together, sex is so, there's so much fumbling and figuring it out and it does not look like vixen. That comes sometimes after years of couples learning each other. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's really well said. So, I mean, in a sense, and and now we do a lot with marriage preparation, especially my wife, like we're, we're very keen to talk about this (laughs) because it's not, it's not treated enough and it should be because it is such a significant dynamic and can be a cause of real distress and misunderstanding and, and all the things we talked about here today. Like, I mean, if we could add some preventative measures to that, uh, just imagine what we could save. So. Yeah, for sure. It can do a lot of damage and nothing will, uh, a few things will kill a woman's desire more than feeling like she's not desired or wanted. So you want to kill that, bring that into your marriage. It's interesting, too, because sometimes I've seen this. I'm not saying it's true for everyone, but I've seen it where couples introduce pornography like as a way to kind of like spice things up or do something a little bit different. And a lot of times it doesn't quite land as well as they thought that it would. Or maybe the first or second time was okay, And then it seemed like then it became an integration of like we need that. And the woman just didn't can cannot feel desirable anymore. And again, women with that femininity as a being, it's very much like, I need to know that you want me, not, not, I'm not, it's a podcast, I'm not going to like use maybe the language I normally use, but not bathing suit areas. Um, I like how Robert's laughing at me. Yeah, not, not bathing suit areas. I need to know that you want me, whereas sometimes guys who are more doing, they might want to know that you want their bathing suit areas and that that's really important. And so there's this part where pornography will, can tank desire and be very hard sometimes to get it to come back because especially if she's seen what is used, then oftentimes it's like, well, I don't look like that. Doc, that is, that's so good. And, and I just love the way you present all this. Um, just just absolutely great, great delivery of all this content. It's a big, big topic too. Um, kind of as we, we, we work towards wrapping up here, um, one of the words that keeps popping in my head as you're talking about is safety. 
And we the kind of last question that we have it was things like the, the impede or distract from sexuality. And you've covered uh, a lot of that already. But one thing I want to just maybe close on is safety and, and really what I think is a, a really unique dynamic because intimacy, true intimacy requires complete vulnerability. Yeah. And so it requires you not to essentially be safe. But I think you need this element of safety to be fully sexual in, in a healthy way. Can you just kind of share on that, that kind of crazy dynamic and, and, and how important safety may be towards female sexuality? Yeah. Well, when we think about like that a man is a protector as a part of his doing, and there's so much more to masculinity than that. But when we think about that and women are nurturing and kind and tender and playful, and there's all these other things too, like that feminine, feminine sexuality. Um, I talk about it much like a flower and that a man that truly cares for a woman will make her bloom. She will blossom. Peonies are my favorite and they, if you see, they've got all these, all these layers and they're so tender and they're beautiful. But if you don't care for them, they will wilt so fast. And that is much like safety looks like for a woman is um, a man that doesn't provide and by the way women are very responsible for their own internal emotions and being able to regulate themselves and all of those things like i'm not pro like let's put this all on men and men can add to the safety that's felt by being a safe place to just hear uh by not calling names or not labeling those sorts of things from from a hearing perspective is she needs to know that she's desirable to you, that she, you want her being, that you find her um, exciting and you care about the things that she's saying. And so there's safety in that because that's a part of knowing the other person from an intimacy perspective. If I feel like I'm going to come to you and share something and you're going to shut me down, I'm going to stop sharing that part of me. And what's really interesting is God made women to receive. Women's bodies take in. And while that happens emotionally, that's super vulnerable. You're taking in a, a man. And so then when you're emotionally doing that, if you don't feel safe emotionally, then yes, you're saying yes with your body, or, but saying yes with your mouth, but your body is not saying yes. And that actually begins to take from and take from and if that's on repeat and take from now women by the way as a side note can totally say yes from a nurturing perspective of i wasn't thinking about it or my brain wasn't there but i love you i want to be there for you i want to meet that need that's not going to take away from um so there's a need for safety physically of knowing knowing that you're gonna care for my body or that i matter or that it's not just it's not just about you getting your orgasm but i don't matter at all because that happens too where it's just like okay well like let's just wash our hands of that because i don't even want that that's not even safe and so as we start to once we hit that emotional lack of safety it's almost like a um what is like where you hit something and it just, my, the word is not coming to me, but it just continues to fall. Like I can see it in my head is that's what happens. Like a dominoes. 
Yes, thank yes. you. I, yep. I have not had my coffee yet this morning. So it is like a domino effect of once you hit that safety part of emotional safety, everything starts to tank after that. Now, it may be over time. It might, it's not, I'm not saying it's just immediate, but over time it starts to close off and that desire will go way down. And she needs in order to have safety for, to be able to say no. And I'm not pro, like, let's just say no all the time. I tell women, if you're going to say no, you need to follow up with when you can. When can you? Not just no, because that's rejecting. That's also a way that we're supposed to be connecting with our partner. And so to just say no and never follow up, like, then you're going to get back to that place where your partner's just chasing you around and you're doing all these blocks of like, please do not touch me. And that's... No one gets married for that. No one gets married for that. Dr. Lasher, I wanted to kind of tease out a little bit, just as I know we're starting the landing process, which I am trying to stall as much as possible. Like, let's just, you know, loop around the tower yeah. one more time. Yeah, yeah, Jeff, rudders down, rudders down. Come yeah. on. <laughs> All right. Run low of fuel. I was just kidding. Well, it's a lot of traffic on the runway, folks. So we're just going to do another pass for 40 more minutes <laughs> and uh, we'll get some pretzels your way. You'll be fine. Anyway, um, like I, I want to tease out this this word need, and and I wonder like where. I mean, I guess I'm concerned about, and this isn't a judgment or criticism of you, but maybe more of the research or the language that we that we use. But like, um, it it, it makes it seem as though the man has this like biological need to climax or something, and and versus like. And I like how we've we've used the word receptivity here. Like Aristotle says that men are active and women are passive. And then you have like modern kind of thinkers. It's like, well, why don't we switch from passive to receptive, right? And and I think that's so great. And but like in the man's kind of outward going and and penetrating and and just moving out of self to the other, especially in the context of this like sacramentality of the body, where like mm -hmm. we we become gift, right? And for the man, he he pours himself out. That's how he gives. Like we just did Father's Day, right? And I think a mark of a good father is just this generous spirit, right? He just gives of himself. Totally. Like, where where does that fit into this context? Because I like how you spoke about rejection too. Like where does that fit in when we talk about need versus maybe like desire? You know, I really think that uh, the differentiator of desire, especially when you see that for men is that shows up in purple or it's that pursuit of I'm pursuing you. I, it's active like when it, that I want to know you. I want to be close to you. I want to touch your body because I want to touch your body. That it is that outflowing of I want your being. I don't just want your body. I want your being. And um Men, God gifted, and like, thank goodness, right? God gifted men with active desire. Thank goodness. You know, if we were all women, I don't know, we probably, population would be decreasing. And, and by the way, this is not to say that women do not want sex. I very believe that women do want sex, do pursue that. But it is very different. We have a clock, like biologically, we kind of like tend to want that more around ovulation time. Just biologically, this is how we're made. And... um 
So there's that that receptive or I'm I'm open. But like if we were all men also, like we might not do other things too. We may only just be naked and then nothing would else happen in the world. So like we have to have this really good balance. So I say that to say, Jeff, um, men are active in their pursuit and that's that's how they're created. We just have to not make, we have to make sure that we don't miss the cream in the center, which is truly like we've got friendship and we've got, we've got like sexy time, orgasm, more driven. And in here we have this, I want to be with you because I want to be with you. And I think that that's, you know, for our male listeners, I think that that's a way that they can really help their, if they're, if they're married, if they're with someone, like really help that desire come online is I'm pursuing you because I want your being. Dr. Lasher, I was so glad to hear you speak about like the cycle of, and women's desire and like right around ovulation. Like in our tradition, we practice natural family planning and we hate natural family planning because the one time that the woman really wants to have sex is the one time you have to avoid <laughs> if yes, you don't want to get pregnant. That is you know, not like, right. Ah! <laughs> You're playing like Monopoly and that's like the last thing you want to do during that time, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh man. So yeah, thanks for so complicated. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> Doc, I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this, uh, the flight in, in the air here for, for one more question. Um, I, I lead, uh, a men's group and, um, it's all about getting them to learn empathy. Mm-hmm. And you said, I want your being. And I, and I, I couldn't help but think about how critical empathy is to understand the being. Because in order to understand the being, you got to really be able to step into their shoes and feel it from their own perspective and their own experiences. How much is empathy involved in terms of female sexuality and more so in, in receiving empathy, not necessarily giving empathy? Um, I don't know that I could tell you from a research perspective of like what part that it accounts for, but I can tell you that it is incredibly important um, that men turn off their fix it, their doing. And, And I also, I tell women to lead with, hey, I just need you to listen to me. And I tell men to say, hey, do you need me to listen or are we coming up with a solution? So that way they can turn off their fix it and just Listen, and I tell people all the time, listen to me, understanding does not equal agreement, okay? You can understand and you cannot agree. So just listen and give her your empathy, give her your care, give her your eyes, because like eyes are so intimate. We only stare into the eyes of people that we are most intimate with, our partner and often children, most, but, or if we're making a point, otherwise we will move our eyes very quickly because it is, it's intimate. So in empathy and giving that we need, we need eye contact, not like I'm listening to you, but I'm looking down at my phone. No, I'm, I'm with you. Again, it's a being, if you want to engage a woman's heart, you need to be with her. Now, sometimes doing is a part of being, but be with her and intimate empathy is a huge part of that. Because I just need to know that you hear me and you care about what I'm saying. And I'm yeah, and for all our listeners, if you want a good example of that, not fixing it, there's a really, really funny but practical video out there called It's Not About the Nail. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. that is a, a really good one of just don't fix it. I need you to listen. So 
Yeah, so good. And 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 I think I don't know, <clears throat> Doc, I don't know what it is about guys more so, but I know for myself, it is a foreign language at times to try to learn. But I think once it's it's in the relationship, what a what a game changer it can be. I think for both male and female. Well, God made God made men like that. I tell women all the time, please do not fault your man for being like that. God made him like that. We just need him to access another part of him which is the part that loves you cares about you doesn't want to want you to feel this way and so he's going to use your ear his ears to just listen but don't fault him for the way god created him you know what i'm hearing from all of this is that men who become counselors and learn good counseling skills and empathy and reflection that their sex lives with their spouses may actually get better that's what i'm hearing one would hope <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. As good long answer, as they Doc. use those skills at home. That's right. And and for good of others, not good for themselves. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man, this, this is epic. I had a feeling that this was going to be pretty good. Oh, it's so kind. Yeah, Doc, thank you. We uh, we are running out of time. We we kept that flight up in the uh, the air for a while, which is perfectly fine because this was fantastic stuff. I think it's such... Uh, important pieces because I know you see the couples uh, we do too and and how how this is all like I said this is the narrative often mm -hmm. and so so it's rampant because if it's those couples that are in our offices it's in the couples that aren't in our offices okay. and 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 we've already seen the the destruction of the family system and I think the enemy uses sex uh, Craig Rochelle used an analogy once called a little bit of poop in the brownies and, and I think that's what the enemy does. He twists sex just a little bit, puts a little bit of different ingredients. Still looks like brownies, still tastes like brownies, but there's still poop in the brownies. And I think that to me is a good analogy of what what uh, sexuality in today's world has become. Sure. That has to do with our being. Mm -hmm. Again, because if I lie to you, I'm not going to feel the same way as if there was something physical because it is connected to who we are, which is very different from saying something, what we do. Yeah, so true, so true. Doc, that was great. Great information, great, great, um, just great reference, great perspective, really. I think that's what I take away is from a man, uh, we don't always get that perspective. I don't always get that perspective. And to hear that, I think, is very helpful, both from a professional and a personal standpoint. So thank you for that. And thank you for just investing the time uh, with us today and uh, with our listeners. I know that there's a lot of takeaways that they will they will get from this episode. So thank you for that. And, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Jeff, thank you, as always, for hanging with us. And our listeners, thank you. We hope you continue to stay with us throughout the summer as we deliver more episodes much like this. Have a great day. God bless.